Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, answering Nova Scotia's call. I want to assure Canadians that the federal government will continue to do whatever is necessary. Ottawa commits resources and dollars to help the province fight back wildfires. More than 800 hectares are burning in and around the Halifax region alone. And coming up, we will speak with the city's mayor, Mike Savage. Also, addressing sexual misconduct in Canada's military. 48 recommendations were made last year to address the issue, and the monitor put in charge of tracking the progress has filed her first report. We'll get some reaction. And David Johnston will appear before a Commons committee next week, as many MPs still question his role as special rapporteur. Our journalists will set up Johnston's Tuesday appearance. This is Primetime Politics. everyone, I'm Michael Sarabio. Ottawa is answering Nova Scotia's call, deploying Canadian forces to help with the firefight and resources to help people who've been displaced by multiple wildfires in and around the Halifax region and near Barrington Lake in the western part of Nova Scotia. Listen, I'm, I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to, to the enormous challenges. Premier Houston and the people of Nova Scotia, we're just there to support them. That's the only thing, that's our only intent, and we'll do everything that is possible uh, within our authorities. And, and there's, it's, it's the response, which primarily is their responsibility, but the recovery is a shared responsibility. And I administer the disaster financial assistance arrangements, certain of the expenses that they incurred, and they, they wanted to make sure that they would have resources to pay for some of those response activities. We've assured them that, that the disaster financial assistance arrangement does allow for, for the eligibility of re- and reimbursement of those expenses. And then there are additional expenses that will be incurred by the province of Nova Scotia within the recovery, and we want to assure the people of Nova Scotia, not just the government, but the people of Nova Scotia, that we'll be there for them. For more, we're now joined by the mayor of Halifax, Mike Savage. Mayor Savage, thank you for taking the time. Hi, Michael. Nice to see you again. And you. Listen, I want to begin with evacuation efforts right now. Just how many communities in your city are affected in the municipality, and how are those efforts actually going? In terms of the evacuation, of keeping the areas clear, we have... um, So we have... uh, we have one large area right now. Um, the total fire area is like 800 and some, excuse me, hectares. Um, it's a number of communities. It's Westwood Hills. It's uh, Yankee Town. It is uh, Highland Park. There's a number of areas as part of that, um, as well as areas like uh, Lucasville and others that are evacuated right now. They're not all in the direct fire zone, but they all face danger from fire that could be uh uh, that could hit their area because it is out of control. Mm-hmm. So we we had a, a further evacuation area on, let's see, what's today, th- Friday, so Tuesday night, which was around the farmer's dairy plant. Uh, we rescinded that one. We, we made the evacuation zone a little bit smaller than the night before last, and we're always evaluating to see if we can send people back to their homes who aren't in immediate danger. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm sure that's an ongoing evaluation. Now, early in the week, you, you expressed, I guess, frustration with people who still had open fires or were lighting them despite the situation. Do you think people are hearing that message now? I think they are. We, I was delighted to come in this morning, first thing, and was told that there was no reports in Halifax uh, last night of open fires. Um, we had had a number, the, 
Some of them are just really sort of beyond belief when people are flicking out uh, cigarettes out of windows and uh, burning leaves with a propane torch. That kind of stuff, I think, has made all of us exasperated. Almost everybody is complying with, with the order. We just need to make sure that the last few are doing the same thing. And I think we've had some success in the last day or so. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to the fire themselves, Environment Canada has also issued a, a, an air quality statement for your city and area. What's your advice to area residents in, in response to, again, that, that special advisory from Environment Canada? Well, you know, a familiar face popped up on uh, screens yesterday here at the press conference we had with the Premier and others yesterday afternoon, Dr. Strang. Rob Strang um, has been on and will be on again today, I believe, to talk about air quality. Um, and he makes the point that no uh, air coming from a wildfire is safe. And obviously there are degrees though. And so it's a big issue. And even as we allow people back into, hopefully, back into areas that have been evacuated, they have to be very conscious of the fact that uh, depending on how close you are, that can be quite toxic. So uh, it's, a, it's a big issue. Uh, we have a lot of people who are evaluating that now. Um, but again, it's like the fire. It's a little bit unpredictable mm -hmm. um, and it gets worse at certain parts of the day. Yeah, understandably. Now, I do see that the weekend forecast is calling for some rain, uh, most especially for Saturday. Uh, are, are you thinking that will help the situation? I think it will. I Look, I, uh, I, I don't pray for rain on the weekend that much. Um, I am now. I can tell you that um, we'll take what we can get. I, I said the last few days I'd like to have next week's weather this week because next week it looks like there's a fair bit of rain in the forecast it was 80 percent projected for today um, any rain helps and if it comes with you know lower temperatures that helps too yesterday was a really difficult day because the temperature got up to 32 33 degrees um, you know and just think about firefighters with their uniforms and carrying gear um, that's an extraordinary load to put on people as well as what it does to increase the chances of fire so, yeah, we were very hopeful that uh, some rain will help the situation. Mm -hmm. Now, you have been in conversation with the Prime Minister and federal officials. Uh, I'm wondering what you make of Ottawa's response so far and what you'll be looking for really in the days and the weeks ahead. That's the point, is, uh, Michael. You hit it that um, the stuff we need now, we have specific requests on behalf of uh, Halifax Region that we've made. Um, we have certainly will be the beneficiary of some of the things that are in the provincial list that went in on uh, Wednesday. But you know, as we 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 certainly hope uh, that that we're getting towards a point where we can be more optimistic about our fire here in Halifax. We we know how uh, sort of galloping the fire is in the Shelburne Argyle area, Barrington. Um, so we think about them a great deal. It's only June the 2nd, and uh, we've got a lot of burn season ahead of us. So we have to do two things in, in the longer term. One is we have to understand why the weather's changing. It's climate. I, look, I, we're getting more hurricanes than we used to get because the water is warmer. We're getting more floods than we used to get, and we're getting more fires than we used to get. So we've got to deal with that. And then we also have to make sure that we have the equipment and the personnel to deal with more of these wildfires. We have a city police, a city fire department, which is more used to structure fires than it is to woodland fires. So we've had a great relationship with DNR down here who have been leading their response on this. Um, in Tantallon, for example, right now, there's 40 DNR firefighters, 100 from uh, HRP and nine from DND. So this is an all hands on deck scenario where people are pulling together to do whatever they can do. 
cooperation has been great, and, and we certainly look for, for support from other orders of government as we go forward. Mike, uh, Mayor Savage, thank you for the time. Really, all the best to you and to people in the Halifax region. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you. Thank you very much uh, for your interest. Yeah, you take care. About two weeks ago, Jocelyn Terrien tabled her report on military attitudes towards sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces. You may remember Terrien is the external monitor appointed by the government to make sure sexual misconduct is being addressed by the forces. In particular, that the 48 recommendations made by former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour were actually being implemented. Well, with some reaction to this first biannual status report, we're now joined by Charlotte Duval-Antoine. She is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, also the author of The Ones We Let Down, Toxic Leadership Culture and Gender Integration in the Canadian Armed Forces. Charlotte, good to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me again, Michael. Now, Madame Terrien, she, she did table this report a couple of weeks ago, and having had time to look at it, I, I'm wondering what stands out for you as a high point in addressing sexual misconduct and misogyny in the armed forces? What I was very pleasantly surprised in what the external monitor reported in her in her latest report was the fact that the military is doing a lot right now, especially structurally, to help with the changes that Madame Arbor had recommended last year. Uh, we're seeing a lot of movement, especially at the recruiting school with instructors being vetted properly and uh, staffed completely. And also the fact that the military is putting in place professional conduct and culture officers within each command. That is very encouraging. And we see that things are moving forward, which we hadn't heard about much before that report came out. Mm -hmm. so, so, so some highlights, as you say, but let's talk about low points then, because obviously the work is not yet done. Absolutely. I mean, it's, we know the military tends to move slowly and, and the work is enormous on their end. Um, one of the things uh, that, that stands out to me is the fact that she's worried about the lack of a strategic plan and the fact that aside from what her office is doing, there is no formal processes for monitoring and overseeing if the changes have an intended effect. But also on top of that, I find the report quite vague. I mean, it's also to the fact that it's quite short. But the thing is that we, we see progress, but we don't really know what the details are therein. And because of that, we do not know how it will look on the ground just yet. There are those activities. We know what they are high level but we do not know how they operate within the institution just yet. And for that, I would be optimistic because we're seeing activities, but I would say I would put a little asterisk to this by saying that for now, we do not know how this would go when confronted with the Canadian Armed Forces culture today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so as you say, some, some answered, unanswered questions still, but you know, let's get back to this uh, strategic plan, this overall strategic plan, because as you say, Madame Therrien says none exists. Why is that? Why is that piece missing? I think it's because of the way that the military operates. We've seen that with Operation Honor in 2015. And when we were promised a strategic plan, and then it came out in 2020. So, so we're seeing the military having difficulties committing to a strategic plan, especially when it comes to, to sexual misconduct. So this is an issue, and I know internally they're working on that, but the problem is that the process is a little bit too long. They're trying to get everything perfect instead of 
getting objectives down and understand that they need short, mid and long term objectives. So they're not there yet. They're working on that. But I would like to underline why it is important to have a, a plan is so that not only we know that the military is right on track and that the activities that we're seeing today are not just a flurry of activities, as Madame Arbor described in her report last year, but it's also to make sure that we can measure progress effectively and make sure that we can fine tune policies and structures in place so that they can have the intended effect. Mm -hmm. If we don't have that when we start putting everything in place, we find ourselves in a difficulty to really understand whether each intervention has the intended effect or whether or not there has been a change of culture because of something else and whether or not the policies that have been in place and the structures that have been put in place are useful for the service members that want to help the military move forward. On culture change. Yeah, moving forward on culture change, as you say. But you know, right now, uh, you, you're well aware of this. The the forces are struggling with the recruitment. Uh, in fact, in some cases, they're even asking people to delay retirement and or reconsider leaving the forces because they're so, they're so short staffed. How much of this do you think is tied to the kind of treatment women and racialized recruits receive in the forces? So the thing is that we do not have huge data on this but anecdotally i've met a couple of people that that have left the military over the sexual misconduct scandals and are preempted of not joining the military because they're scared of how they're going to be treated so anecdotally i've had those conversations with people we're looking into getting that data but honestly like if you don't if you feel like you're not going to be welcome in an institution you're less likely to join it some people do not prioritize this as much as other people but we cannot overlook that fact and and we see that also among uh air cadets the young folks that, that are involved in the military uh in a way that do not want to join the regular forces or the reserve forces for that reason then there's a lot of other factors obviously but you know like when when you look at factors, it's usually accumulation of things, and we cannot deny the fact that that might have an impact because people care about how they're going to be treated within an organization. Mm -hmm. Well, that all said, as we said, this was the only the first report from the external monitor. More will come. What will you be looking for in terms of next steps? So she's been very clear about what she's looking for for her next report, and I'm. I'm very interested in, in seeing that second report, actually, because it's very much focused on whether or not the policies are having the intended effect and moving a little bit the conversation outside of the national headquarters of defense to the people in the field, the people who are experiencing culture in bigger ways than, than the people who are making the policies. So I do think that right now the report is quite brings quite a cautious optimism in me but i might i think that the october report is going to be way more hard hitting and i'm going to be reading it very closely when it comes out in six months well without doubt we'll speak again at that point uh, but charlotte deval antoine for now thank you for the time good to see you again always a pleasure thank you so much To the other stories making headlines today. This is the second day of Pride Month and the Prime Minister is denying Canada has been silent on the fate of the LGBTQ community in Poland. 
certainly raised uh, concerns that we have around some of the reports coming out of, of, uh, of Poland uh, around LGBT rights, around democracy. Uh, and uh, we had a frank conversation, as must be the case. Justin Trudeau was meeting Poland's Prime Minister in Toronto. Mateusz Morawiecki says rights are not at risk in his country. That despite his government letting Polish regions declare themselves LGBTQ free zones and calling LGBTQ rights an attack on the family and on children. We very strongly put focus on uh, nurturing families, supporting families, um, and sometimes it is misunderstood by uh, some, uh, some people as uh, being uh, discriminatory towards some other uh, people, which is not the case. Pierre Poliev is comparing the People's Party leader Maxime Bernier to the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Um, both of them supported woke policies in the House of Commons, um, even though they put on a big act outside of the House of Commons. Bernier is running in the portage Lisgar by-election and says the Poliev visit is a sign Conservatives are afraid of losing to his party. They don't attack the PPC principles and policies because they know they are very popular among their voting base. To Toronto now and the race for the mayor's office, candidates are campaigning once again after a suspect was arrested for allegedly threatening to shoot them. Police say the man was not targeting a specific candidate, but the threat did lead to the postponement of a mayoral debate that was supposed to take place last night. A 29-year-old man now faces several charges. Well, for many people on Parliament Hill, Tuesday's agenda is already set. David Johnston, the former Governor General and current Special Rapporteur, will appear before the House Procedures Committee. The purpose? To answer questions about his first report on foreign interference and his recommendation against a public inquiry. Not to mention his pushback against a parliamentary motion that called on Johnston to step aside. Well, to talk about this, we're now joined by our Friday journalist, Susan Delacorte, is a columnist for the Toronto Star, Stephanie Taylor, parliamentary reporter for the Canadian Press, and Catherine Levesque, parliamentary reporter for the National Post. Good to see the three of you. Hi. Nice to be here. So listen, we'll, we'll get into Tuesday in a moment, but, I, but I, first I want to begin here with David Johnston's decision to stay put. As we know, the majority of MPs voted for him to step aside. He says he's not going to do that. So what does this do for the whole process, his report on foreign interference? Will that be trusted or is this whole process now tainted? Uh, Susan, I'll get you to start us out. I'm, you know, I say this regretfully because I'm, I really like Mr. Johnson, but I, I think this thing has become a circus. You know, and even as far back as a week ago, I didn't think that he could be in charge of the public hearings. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest they'd, they'd do something different with them, have a different expert in charge of each one or something, but um, he's really dug himself in now, and I I don't know how they get out of that. I think all we've seen from the government so far is buying time, and um, maybe they think they can just weather it until Parliament rises. But I I think it's I I, I regretfully say that I think that uh, it won't work. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Stephanie? Because he still has work to do. He's been mandated to do something, not something, something that is fairly important, but, you know, to, to, to address foreign interference in the electoral process is it tainted now. 
I think an already troubled process got even more troubled this week uh, when Mr. Johnston actually responded and said, you know, essentially, thank you for expressing your opinion, Parliament, but I'm not going to listen. I get my mandate from the government. So now he's kind of entangled himself into this. And we have to remember that this was like troubled from a troubled process from the start. I mean, it, it, if we rewind the clock, it took Trudeau several weeks before even announcing that there was going to be this process of a special rapporteur. And he got hammered for several weeks in question period and by opposition leaders calling for a public inquiry. So when this process was even announced, the Liberals did it looking like it was a defensive movie, looking like they were on the back foot. And really, since that has been announced in March, they've had to explain and explain and explain why this is a legitimate process, why people should trust this process, why the opposition members are wrong, and they still can't make this go away. And we're not even necessarily even talking about the substance of the report, which is something the Prime Minister charges all the time. But at the end of the day, it was him who made this appointment. And it is on the Liberals who have set this process up, which doesn't seem to be answering or satisfying any of the questions it was designed to. Yeah, yeah, and it really is one of these cases where it seems like the horse is out of the barn. So, so what happens with with his report, Catherine? Oh goodness. Uh, well, I mean, he he will have he, these public hearings, uh, you know, possibly during the summer, during the fall. But uh, you know, his next report is due before the end of October, so that's coming up quite fast. You know, the question I have is, are, are people going to want to testify or you know to talk to him and and to be in these public hearings? I mean, you know, certainly we we had a, a poll this week in the National Post from Leger uh, showing that in fact you know barely more than a quarter of Canadians actually believe that David Johnston is is suited in this role. And we've heard from, uh, you know, groups uh, from Tibetans or Uyghurs, uh, you know, kind of criticizing David Johnston for still being in that role, but also the government for not uh, holding a public inquiry as they asked him to. So, you know, this is not just a partisan issue here. I think, you know, it's it's really a question of, of confidence, of you know, do, do we of trust? Can we trust David Johnston? You know, I think he's he's shown in his report that you know he's actually done some good work, some decent work. But I think the question is now, you know, is he able to push against the government's narrative and to, you know, push back against, you know, what uh, CSIS or the Prime Minister's office would say and, you know, actually get to the bottom of what happened instead of just taking the intelligence, assessing it, and then presenting his report. Well, it's interesting to use the word trust because, as we know, the, the government has, has been criticizing the opposition, saying that they're essentially destroying David Johnston's reputation uh, for political gain, although, you know, arguably, or is the government destroying David Johnson's reputation by using him as a shield? Uh, Susan, what do you say to that? You know, I, I think it's worth rolling back the tape to when the Prime Minister set this up, and he, he said something remarkable then, which was, frankly, nobody's going to believe a word I say. You know, I, there, there's a certain constituency. So that's why David Johnson had to be in there. So there was this idea then that, that David Johnson was the not Trudeau. He was somebody independent of Trudeau. And as Stephanie said, he kind of dug himself in with his statement this week is I, 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 it's the government's mandate I'm following and it was, that wasn't the way this was supposed to go. So um, I, I really think that was his statement. I think his op-ed in the Globe and his statement this week in reply to the parliamentary vote were both a little off. They, they weren't, um, yeah, they were discordant with the, the mood of the times too. And I, I, I had expected, which shows you how dumb I can be after all these many years, I thought he was going to step down uh, after the vote, but he's, uh, he's dug in. 
yeah, dug in as you say, but you know, it, is his reputation being harmed more by the opposition or by the government here? Does it distract from the bigger issue of foreign interference? Stephanie, Stephanie Catherine. Um, look, I mean, I, I think, you know, either or could have made this decision this week, right? I mean, you know, David Johnston was asked to produce this first report, you know, he kind of offered to conduct these public hearings. Um, you know, the government could have also decided to just, you know, have hold a public inquiry and, you know, name a commissioner, you know, who would this magical unicorn, which would, you know, satisfy everyone, right? I, I don't know who this person is, but, um, and, and David Johnston, you know, also had the possibility to step down and, and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have a peaceful summer and I'm <laughs> not going to, you know, deal with all this. Um, so, but it, we're, really what we, we're seeing from Mr. Johnston is, you know, like Susan said, I mean, he's said, uh, you know, two times already that he will stay, that he's committed to going through this process. And I, you know, I really think it speaks to his sense of duty and commitment. And I think that's, um, you know, that that's, that's great. I, I really commend him for that. But at the same time, I mean, look, you know, at the end of this process, but what is his reputation going to be? You know, I, I kind of worry about that and, you know, because everything is going to be picked apart and um, especially also in committee next week. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie, what, what would you say about his reputation and how it's being used by, by members of parliament on both sides? There was something in his statement that stuck out to me where he acknowledged that he, he knew this wasn't going to be without controversy or it was wording to that. And I wonder if he expected it to get to this level. And I, I and this whole debacle or this whole process, however you want to characterize it, really makes me wonder if folks were a little bit naive as to did people think did the Prime Minister, did people in his office think, did Liberal MPs on the front bench think that putting this process in place was going to take the temperature down? Because when the process was even announced that David Johnston was going to be this uh, special rapporteur, he was going to do this, this report, that he was a Governor General appointed by conservative, former Conservative Prime Minister Stephen Harper, if people actually thought that that was going to work, especially in, in this minority parliament, especially when you have opposition parties unanimously calling for a public inquiry. And so I, I wonder for Mr. Johnston's part, and we're going to talk about his committee appearance next week, if he fully expected it to get to the level it has. And I know when he was speaking to reporters last week, he mentioned that this was the first time in his very long career that his impartiality had been questioned, and he found it very troubling. So I, I think some of this story is also taking looking at where we add as a country in the political climate and the political climate of the commons at a time when you have the prime minister saying essentially let's take the temperature down and, and stick to the substance of this report which is no and he's he's kind of the only one in the room even saying this at this point yeah yeah only one as you say but l let's look ahead to tuesday as we know uh, david johnson will be appearing uh, it's uh, scheduled for I, I think 10 a.m eastern when he'll he'll start what's expected to be a three-hour testimony what will you be watching for catherine Oh goodness, I, I think he'll be asked about the Trudeau Foundation a lot. I, I know he's been criticized by the, uh, the conservatives for not having touched that part. Although I think you know, with with all the committee hearings in the past few weeks, I think we've kind of, you know, went through all, all the all the facts and everything that that happened there. But uh, you know, certainly I think he, he'll be asked about that. I think there will be a lot of questions as to why he's not stepping down. <laughs> you know, why he's not re responding to the NDP motion that was passed this week. So I expect a, a lot of questions. I, I don't know if we'll have you know as as many answers as as we want. But uh, look, I, I think it's going to be a, a hard three um, three hours for him. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, what would you say? 
David Johnston is going to want to talk about his report and MPs are going to want to talk about David Johnston. So he's going to have to find a way to navigate himself in that situation. One thing I am watching for is whether Mr. Johnston does get any question or does have the ability to talk about what this hearing process is supposed to look like. Because as, as he says, he's decided to stay, he feels that it's a public service to stay. What is this hearing process going to look like? And I know one of the questions I have is how is this hearing process going to look any different than the committee appearances we've had up and up to this date? We've had two committees, we've had a number of government officials, both past and present, a number of members of diaspora communities who have frankly been testifying for years of threats and intimidation attempts at foreign interference. So I don't know if we're going to get there in the committee appearance, if we're talking about the Trudeau Foundation and the ties to the Trudeau family. But I think it would be very interesting to know from Mr. Johnston how he imagines the public hearing process of this working, which essentially he's saying, wait, my work isn't done yet. Yeah, and that's always the, the challenge with committees, right? Uh, how much of it is politics you're going to hear or, or substantive information that you're going to want to answer questions? Susan, what's your expectations? What are you watching out for? Uh, for the independence factor. I, I would like to know whether those hearings or whether how much this process was that the Liberals again have not helped on this score. They're, they've actually lifted words from his report like veiled in ignorance and thrown it back and it looks like the government and and the, the Johnson process are working hand in glove you know so I, I think if if I were Mr. Johnson I'd study up this weekend on presenting himself as his own man and as independent from the government as he can. Okay, so we'll come together again a little later in the program, but for now, thank you to the three of you. That was Susan Delacorte, Stephanie Taylor, and Catherine Levesque. And that is our program for you on this Friday. For everyone here at CPAC, I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for watching us. We'll see you over the weekend for Primetime Politics Weekend, and of course, next week when David Johnson appears before committee.